All right. Are you ready? Yep. You clap it. All right. Cool. Hopefully. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 171st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and they got my man. Sage chilling here in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. The room's all red. I'm looking. I, I feel pretty cool in here, so uh, I'm ready to let this shit go. Shit, shit go man how are you feeling good i mean what, what you, what's your summer been up to it's been it's been a minute been about three weeks since we've recorded it was uh hot and heavy basically every other day we were recording because news just kept dropping right and left but the off season is officially upon us summer league is no longer and we have reached the dog days of summer so what have you been up to how are you passing the time man uh i wanted to get the uh studio slash office looking cool because I know that I will be doing YouTube videos and I'll be streaming. So I wanted to have a cool background environment for the streams. And then uh, just trying to do like the, the stuff that I've been meaning to do for years in regards to finding content and then recording it and mastering it. So same old, same old, just have more time to, to do all the stuff. How about you? Just living that unemployed life right now. I mean, still grinding on, on that job front. I mean, it's no joke, but at least it's the summertime. It's nice out. Get my walks in. Uh, funny enough, I usually run into uh, a neighbor of mine, and as I'm walking home with with Olga, and he was like, "Hey, did you hear about the news? We got power." I'm like, "Yeah, I heard." He's like, "He's like, I'm I'm not sure what to think. He's really old. Well, what what's he gonna do?" And I I was like, "Yeah, I kind of agree, but I think he was." basically brought on to be more of, of a vet presence. So I think that's a, a great segue and we were already going to record today. So thank the Lord that news actually dropped again, right before we were going to record. Woj announces Pau Gasol is going to play for the vet minimum in his 19th year with the Portland Trailblazers. As you know, he was a target of Neil's back in, in 2016 before he went and signed with the San Antonio Spurs. Obviously there are a lot of miles on those legs, but he is a legitimate veteran with championship pedigree, first ballot hall of famer, no doubt going to be great for the bigs. Also, I think going to be really great for Mario Hazonia Sage. How are you feeling about this acquisition? It is the 14th roster spot. So we have one more left, which I think they'll leave open in case a buyout candidate or they want to do, uh, take a back lopsided. a couple players, exactly, a lopsided deal. So how are you feeling about this one? So my question is, is he going to actually play, or is he just going to be the mentor for Zach Collins? Or is, is it going to be a little bit of both? I, I don't know. I haven't watched him play in a while, so I don't know how he much he has left. In a while. That, that's the thing. There is nothing on him because he goes from the Spurs, which are a perennial playoff team, and he asked for a buyout, which – struck me as, as odd, but he obviously knew that there was no chance for them to make any sort of a run. And at his age and at his stage in his career, he wants to play for a winner. So we went to Milwaukee 
60-win team, unfortunately hurt his foot, and he was out for the season. So we didn't really ever get to see him in Milwaukee. But to answer your question, this signing reminds me a lot of when the Blazers brought in Detlef Schrempf in the summer of 99. Detlef was, you know, one of the greatest international players of all time. I believe he won sixth man of the year, either in Dallas or Indiana, and was a key piece on Seattle's 96 uh, NBA Finals team. Detlef came as the 14th or 15th player. We had already acquired Scottie Pippen, and there was not much left on, on his in his body as well. He was running pretty close to empty, but he was a veteran, a professional, and he, he actually performed well in very spot minutes. So I think that's what we should expect from Pau Gasol. I don't think you can say he's going to get 10, 15 minutes a night because I don't think he's going to be playing every night. I, I think if you can get 60 games out of Gasol, and not uh, any sort of long sustaining injury, really use him as our load management player. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll reap the rewards. I think he's going to be able to be a, a niche player. He's going to match up well against teams where we need to stretch the floor. He is a fantastic passer. So I could see him working really well with players who move well without the ball. And the most important part I think is the locker room presence. Mm-hmm. That Collins is obviously the future at the power forward position. I think Yusuf Nurkic still has a lot to learn. He's only 24, 25 years old. Even Hassan Whiteside at 30, he has never really played with a vet like Pau Gasol. Dwayne Wade was in and out at at Miami, so he didn't really have that consistent. And he wasn't the same position. Exactly. Not the same position. Pau Gasol can teach him a lot. And I think it's also great that we're bringing in these leaders that can help shoulder the burden of Damian Lillard. We cannot continue to ask Damian Lillard to take on every reclamation project or to be everyone's therapist or to be there to smooth everything over. I think that is asking a lot of Dame. So when you bring in a guy like Kent Bazemore, great locker room guy. You bring in Anthony Tolliver. He's been around the block. He's in his mid-30s. He is here for one reason, to win. Pau Gasol, he has won. He knows he still has something left of the tank. He wants to play for a winner. So that's the first sign. If Pau Gasol is signing with the Blazers, you have to feel really good about the roster that we have because he could have probably gone to a couple other teams and helped them out in a similar fashion. But he felt that Portland was a good fit for him and a, a chance to, to make another deep run. So, um, again, this is the 14th player. So I, I've seen a lot of people online kind of freaking out. Oh, we should have had Joakim Noah. Uh, maybe Kenneth Freed was a better fit or – I don't know if Anthony Simons is ready to be that point guard of the future. We may need to get another backup point guard. Let's let's just chill. This is the 14th player on our roster. He's not going to play every day. He's probably not going to start. He is there to bring moxie, to bring poise, and a calmness to that locker room. And like I mentioned, Mario Hazonia was already really excited about this. You know, the European – the Europeans almost – have a fraternity with what I've noticed, you know, uh, Shaq talks a lot about how the big men are a fraternity in the NBA. And I think any NBA player feels like they're part of a fraternity because you're one of only, you know, a handful of all human beings to be able to play at this level. But I think when you start segmenting those groups out, the euros kind of stay together or have that natural bond because there are even a fewer select of them that have made it over to play professionally in this league. And there's a lot of respect from Hazonia growing up watching a guy like Pau Gasol and he's already paying homage to Drazen Petrovic wearing that 44. So Hazonia is a wild card where I think he could really benefit this roster. And if he is excited about Pau Gasol and Pau can start to teach him some of the things 
that go into being a consistent pro. Now, I'm not saying he's going to live up to his lottery pick status, but if we can get consistency out of him, he can find his place on this roster. That's a huge win for the Blazers. And so now you've got these three really strong European players in, in Nurkic, Gasol, and Hazonia. And that's good for them to have to feel like there's a little sense of a family on on the roster. I mean, that they are. I mean, just like Sage, you you've grown up, you've had your experiences. I've grown up, I've had my experiences. Maybe some somewhere along the line, we have some overlap where we can understand one another. Yeah. But a lot of times, maybe what Dame went through is not what Mario was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, t- I'll take Drazen Petrovic as, as an example. He came over from Croatia. He wanted to be a star. He wanted to play. He was playing with the country on his back, and he played with that, that pressure, but he wasn't getting the opportunity. And so he really didn't have anybody who could relate to him. I mean, Vladi Divac a little bit over in, in Los Angeles – but obviously times have changed and we've progressed and there's many more Europeans in, in the league, but to have a couple on the roster, I think that's just going to add a comfort for Hazonia and even Nurkic as well, especially at the big man level. I mean, I know we've been yearning for a big man coach since Kim Hughes was, was fired for leaking the Marcus Aldridge free agency back in 2016, but, or 2015, excuse me. But I think he's going to be a de facto coach player and yeah. A true Rollins. Yeah, he knows what he signed up for. So it's cool that we have players and coaches that even from different walks of life, like Gennaro Pargo worked his ass off. Cam Bazemore was an undrafted guy. So there's all of these different players' life experiences on one team. And I think that's really cool to have different points of view from everywhere. I keep remembering this article I read one time where David West talked about PJ Brown's impact on him. And I would love for Pyle Gasol to be that PJ Brown for Zach Collins and all of our younger centers like that, that development that Pyle Gasol has been there, done that and won chips. He has gems to give. And I think Zach Collins should be a sponge whenever he hangs out with Powell and be like, all right, dog, he has done everything. And we need to, I need to get everything I can from them. So I love the way that we have all of these different type of people contributing to one big thing. And I think Gennaro Pargo is going to be one of those guys that most of our guys are, most of the coaches are kind of older white dudes. Gennaro is the guy that can relate to these players because he was there relates to them more so i think having people that can relate to others is a huge thing one of the reasons vanderpool was so popular and in all of these associate head coaches articles and head coaches was because he's been there done that been in euro league asia he was he he's done things that can relate to players so I, i'm li- i'm liking all the things that we're doing in, in regards to relating to one another. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah. If I'm Zach Collins, I am not leaving Powell's side and it, it may not be fair, but Zach Collins is, is going to get a starting spot in, in the front court. I don't think any one of us is going to deny it or mm-hmm. say, suggest there's any other scenario barring injury, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully Zach stays, stays healthy, but it might not be fair because the arms race in the West is going to be an ongoing situation. 
It may mm-hmm. quiet down up until training camp, December 15th, when contracts are guaranteed, trade deadline. But Portland has two major expiring deals, Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside. And why I say it may not be fair for Zach Collins, because he is a realistic trade chip that we have to go all in, ante up with all of those chips. If Nurkic is showing progress, then you might feel more comfortable moving Whiteside's expiring deal to, to get a superstar type of player because you have to match that salary. And then you're trying to throw picks and a guy like Zach Collins in as the sweetener. So Zach really needs to be on his A game. And I think he needs to show that he can handle being the power forward, not only of the future, but the power forward for the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Because although Nurkic's injury is a setback, this team still has championship aspirations. At the very least, they want to get out of the first round again. And he, the Blazers are putting a lot of not only responsibility, but they're putting a lot of faith in Zach Collins, much as they are doing with Anthony Simons. A lot of internal development will determine how far the Blazers go this year. And if Zach kind of stays the same or just shows a little bit of progress, then you know what? I, I, I'm not certain that his spot is going to be guaranteed. Now, if he comes out and plays, does that Pascal Siakam third-year jump, I don't think he has anything to worry about. And now Portland's going to hold on to him to dear life. But there is going to be a lot of pressure on, on Big Z. And mm-hmm. I'm, frankly, I'm, I'm excited to see how he how he responds because he has all of the tools, but he makes those mistakes such as he fouls too frequently. And he, he's, he's, a, he's a binge fouler, as I like to say. A he foul comes, monster. He foul monster. He comes into games and he misses bunnies right away. He starts to settle in, but he always takes three or four minutes to to find his feet. He's going to have to be ready to go right off the bat. And I think those are instances where Pau Gasol can help him. Pau's not going to be able to teach him how to hit a three point shot consistently. That's going to be Zach putting in the work. But Pau can help him see the game. He can tell him what to do in certain situations, what to see on film, and just be there as. As a shoulder, somebody to talk to, somebody to ask, hey, what would you do in this situation? What should I have done here? So there's a lot riding on Zach, and I think he's up for the challenge, but that has been the the biggest, one of the biggest question marks when I am really reexamining and evaluating the, this roster and how far I think they can go because you just don't know what you have. You think mm. – I mean, you know what you think is there, but is he going to achieve it? Is he going to become Pascal Siakam in that third-year jump, be a legit most improved player in, in that conversation, or is he just going to be – he's a borderline starter. He's essentially Alfred Camino with a different skill set. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a big year for him, man, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think that's the one real question mark in the starting five is – How's that going to do? Because you know what Dame CJ, Rodney Hood, or Kent is going to do. And then Hassan, I mean, like, that's a long track record of when he gets his minutes, he produces. So Zach's the one question mark, and we can talk about it, but it really is going to be answered when he's on the floor and plays, like, legitimate sample size. This this isn't going to be a one-game thing. This is th- we have to We have to look at it through, like, a long-term lens, like – the first 15 games we will be able to tell if he's ready for this, not the first one or, you know, preseason. Yeah. And I think we definitely need to show some patience with him as well. You made a great point. We're not going to see it after one game. If we do, that's fantastic. 
I really think you need to give him through the new year. You, you've got to let him play two months and change, see different schemes, see different players, see different types of bigs. Where does he excel? Where does he show weakness? Where can he improve? And I've had extra time on my hands, so I've gone back and, and watched some of the, the playoff games from this past year and most recently against Denver games mm-hmm. three and uh, game six. So game three was the four overtime basically marathon and game six was a blowout and it didn't look like that at the beginning, but Portland put it on, put it on those boys. And what is keeping me extremely optimistic about this, this roster is the four players who were really the, the cogs and the engines that were leading the charge were Dame, CJ, Rodney, and Zach. Sometimes Myers was in there. Sometimes Cantor was in there as the five. But those four, which are going to be your, I think, your starting one through four, that was the group that was getting it done. And that's why it gives me hope because that's the group that's probably going to start. Mm. Um, Rodney's ability to be a big guard like a Brandon Roy. I'm not saying he is Brandon Roy, but those type of guards, a Joe Johnson, they, they just don't exist anymore in today's NBA. Clay Thompson a little bit, but he doesn't have the back-to-the-basket game. Rodney's ability to create mismatches is so unique and such a benefit. And it's it's what we had tried to do with Mo Harkless. If you go back earlier in that series, we tried to make them pay for putting Jamal Murray on Mo Harkless, and we dumped it in there. Mo, like Zach, gets a little too eager sometimes and just isn't as consistent around the rim. But Rodney was he he can go left he can shoot the baby hook he can just turn and elevate and when he gets a rhythm he can just flat out catch and shoot the three this is why I am so excited is because we were able to bring him back not only on a team-friendly deal but he wanted to be back this is the player who came from Utah who was going to fill in for Gordon Hayward when Hayward departed for Boston he has got his groove back he knows he's going to get major minutes I think we're only scratching the surface with, with Rodney Hood, and I really love a finishing five of Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, and Antis Hahn. You've got rim protection, you've got matchups, you've got playmaking, you've got passing, we, and you've got shooting. And we can switch damn near everything. And in today's, like, yo, we saw that with Denver. It was switch, 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 switch. So we, we got guys that can switch defensively. And if CJ's, like, not... Ha- not having a good game, man. Put Kent there. We're switching two through five. Even Dame can switch onto a bigger guy because he he's a very good post defender for his size. We have a lot more versatility and different weapons now. You can't send that trapping to Dame now if Hood or Kent Bazemore is on the wing. You just can't. There's more shooting. Like Hassan said, we got shooters. We got shooters, and we also have, have matchups. We remember how frustrating we were, frustrated, excuse me, watching Denver just attack Aminu. Millsap one on one in the block. Mm. Games one, game five, that was the reason Denver was able to pull away. Well, we essentially flipped the script and did Hood on Murray, and Murray was their second best player. I mean, if Denver has championship aspirations as well, he's going to have to be their second best player and play even better than he did in that postseason. But Hood negated him on the offensive end because he was able just to just to punish him. And the alternate is, okay, either you're going to take Murray out 
or you're going to make Murray guard Dame or CJ 100 possessions a night. Mm. This, this is a huge signing and a huge reacquire uh, a player. And so when people say, you know, did Portland get better? Yes, we got better because we get a full season of Rodney Hood. He was really getting into his groove. And you also look at Zach Collins and you talk about the versatility. There was a play in game six. I think it was the third quarter. And it was when I knew we were going to win the game. They were punishing us with Millsap inside and Jokic. And thankfully, Zach Collins was in the game. Jokic was backing down Cantor, goes up for his patented hook. Collins comes out of nowhere, weak side block, starts a fast break. And it set something in Denver's mind that this is not going to be easy anymore. And that mm-hmm. was a tone setter. He has the ability to be a tone setter on defense. We saw that against Golden State in the regular season, blocking Clay Thompson, getting into his head and Durant's head. We need that on a game-by-game basis rather than, ooh, once out of every five games, Zach Collins goes off. So that's where we're looking for that next step out of that. That consistency. That consistency. But what I'm telling you, he's got to hit that three. Because what made Myers so valuable for Portland in that Golden State series, teams are going to double Dame. They're going to double CJ. Even in the regular season, in in big games, close games, Zach's going to be out there now. It's not just going to be once every few games he's going to finish. He's going to finish the games barring foul trouble, and he's going to get a lot of top of the key threes. I hope he's putting in the work because we really need him to be as effective as Myers was on that three. I mean, I don't really have any worries. He's got the form. It's just all about the confidence and the rhythm. And he's gonna get the comp. He's gonna get the rhythm playing thirty plus a night. Being the he has that just he has the role of a starting power forward. So it's gonna be interesting to see like what he does with that new role. And I, you know, he he expects to be the starter. That's what he said in uh the, those press conferences. He wants that starting spot. Now he's going to get it with the minutes, the role, the responsibilities. I think we're going to see a new Zach. And when you watch him on help defense, he's his IQ is really high. Like if he knows he has help, he's going to try and block it. If he doesn't have help, he's going to hands up, contest the shit out of that shot. He's special with the defense, man. He could be a post defender, a pick and roll defender, and a help de- defender. That That's a rare rare thing for defenders man like the last person i can think of that does that is tyson chandler so we have a chance to have a very young very good defender on the squad and it's like yeah i don't need 20 and 10 from zach i i think i just want to see if a rebound's in your vicinity you, you grab it you box it out or you tip it you play solid defense you finish around the rim when you're given the ball and you hit your open threes at a, a 33 35 clip an average clip yeah just league average. League average. All you need. Be respectable. Make make teams fear leaving you wide open. Because there's there's a difference between shooting a contested three rather than being wide open. If you're getting wide open threes, that percentage should should rise. And mm-hmm. most importantly, stay out of foul trouble. And he's not gonna like he's not gonna have a high usage rate. It's Damon CJ is gonna run that unit. So he doesn't have to worry about like making plays for others. He's just had to stay at those open shots, the 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 shots that the offense generates for him. Exactly. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to be a Superman. He just does his thing, hits the open shots, and plays good defense. And Rip City's gonna love him if he does those those things. Play within himself. And I'm really looking forward to see how he and Hassan play together on defense. Both 
love going after blocks. And I think there are going to be times where we give up points because we do chase blocks. And so I think that's going to be something that they're going to have to work on and work through the, the training camp and the preseason, probably the first 15 to 20 games is gaining that trust with one another. If, if Hassan sees a defender back down Zach, is there trust there that Zach can hold his own? Mm-hmm. Is there trust there if Hassan's going up against you know DeMarcus Cousins? Zach doesn't always need to come over. Obviously, you want to change up the looks you're giving up the opposition, but help when it is needed, not just to... Well, here's the beautiful thing about that. You can tell somebody to rein it back 10%, it's a whole different animal when you're trying to get somebody to do a skill they're not skilled at. So at least we know they're skilled defenders. And if we can tell them to decrease the aggressiveness just a little bit, they can do that. It's, it's, basketball is about continuity. So once we find, once they get that, they're going to be able to work together very well. It absolutely does. On paper, who has a better uh, defensive bigs? Because, damn, yeah, like, there aren't that many teams with the potential defensive the potential defensively in the bigs that we do. I mean, Clippers absolutely have it defensively through the wings and the guards, but Montrez Herald is short. We have two guys that are 6'11", 7 feet, that are athletic, can switch, can block shots, rebound. Like Those bigs are going to be very fun to see and play as an NBA 2K20. I can't wait for that. So... Obviously, Summer League wrapped up. The Blazers did not defend their crown. No no extra merch to pick up this offseason, but it was really just to find out how is Anthony progressing? What else does Gary Trent have in store for us? And it was our first look at, at Nasir Little. Obviously, it was not the roster that you would have hoped for because Scal suffered some form of of injury. And I also heard reports that the coaches saw enough of him during summer workouts to say, you don't need to play. We know what you've got, which is always a good sign. And Zach Collins is not playing as expected. So Portland did not really have the, the bigs to, to do much. And in summer league, you never know who is going to be on the roster. Um, I watched a, a video, I think, with with Gary Trent on the Blazers' Instagram, and it's like there is so little preparation that goes into summer league. You're really just put together three days before. You get a few days to practice, and you're out there playing a game of five-on-five five with players you've really never played with before. And let's start with Nasir, because while I still believe he was a steal of the draft, what he showed or didn't show at summer league didn't surprise me. Uh, it was a little head-scratching that he didn't play a lot with Anthony and Gary because you need. So with Nasir, he's not going to create his offense. We just talked about that with Zach. His job is to let others create for him. Well, he didn't have anybody doing that. And he got a couple of good looks from a corner three, made one or two of those. He had a great highlight dunk, but the fact of the matter is 
what you saw is not necessarily what you're going to get. He's still a couple years away. He's raw as hell. But at the end of the day, who out there was playmaking for him? He had more of the Nicholas Batum summer league experience than the Jared Bayless experience. And that is okay. Well, my first question before we, we, I dive into this year a little, what, uh, as, as someone who breaks down tape, what is your philosophy with summer league? Does it matter? Like if someone dominates, does that matter? If someone doesn't do well, does that matter? Or are you taking everything with a grain of salt? Like, what are your philosophies when you watch these games that don't really mean anything to the grand scheme? It's a case-by-case basis. I don't think you can say it doesn't matter. I don't think you can put a blanket statement that says if somebody dominates, they're going to be great, or that, again, it doesn't matter. And if somebody struggles, I don't think you can just write them off. I mean, look at Trey Young last year. He looked awful in Summer League, and halfway through the season, it clicked for him. The game slowed down, and he looks like one of the best young players in the entire league. I will give you a couple of examples. So when you look back at Jared Bayless, I bought into that hype. But when I was with the, the, the team working for the organization, Neil O'Shea brought up a, brought it up actually in one of the office meetings. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't really remember what the, the reference or why it was brought up. But he basically said, it was in reference to Bayless winning Summer League MVP, that he got his points by getting to the bucket and getting to the free throw line. The dude averaged like 15 or 17 free throws a game. That does not translate over to to the next level. You look at a guy like Jeff Pendergraf. We brought him in, and I think he was in year two or year three, and we tried to run post offense through him, and he couldn't even look capable of doing it against summer league bigs. To me, that translated. He looked bad, and I thought Mm -hmm. it would translate because if you can't do it against Joe Nobody, you're not going to do it against Joel Prisbilla in practice. And then there are players like Damian Lillard and Brandon Roy and, to an extent, Anthony Simons, where it looks easy. They don't look like they're trying too hard and they're still getting to their spots. They're hitting their shots. And they look and they know that they are the best player on the floor. So you have to take it on a player-by-player basis. And what are they trying to Mm. achieve, Sage? In Pendergraft's case, he was trying to become a better low-post player. That certainly wasn't happening. For, for Dame and Brandon and Anthony, they were looking to run a team. They were looking to be a leader of that team. And they were basically burdened with or put, putting the responsibility of being the, the team's playmaker. Did they achieve that? And how difficult did they make it look? They made it look pretty dang easy. The one thing that I can say without a shadow of doubt in my mind, Anthony's a one. The way he dribbles, the way he's fluid, the way he can, he can make plays for himself and i think he can make plays for others he just didn't have skilled players with him so he only got to assist a game basically but i bet he had a lot more potential assists it's just the random power forward couldn't make the shot so yeah like i think penny's a one and i know it's it's tough to really say what makes him a one but it's kind of like porn. I know it when I see it. And I think that I think that Penny's a one. I think Gary Trent's a two and will never be a one because he doesn't look for other people. He He's trying to get biz himself. You saw it at damn near every game. He was shooting because he was the second best player on the team. The one thing I will say about Summer League and it being beneficial is for those European and international players 
that don't get that much scouting, I think it's huge for them. But American players that have gotten scouted to death, I don't think it matters as much because uh, there, there was a guy named D.D. Silva on the Pelicans. His scouting report said he was a post player that sucked on off ball. I watched him. He's a he's a three point shooter that's really good off ball defending. So I think I think I think summer league's different for those unscouted international guys. And you go back to to Simons, who you said is a point guard. I, I think he's going to have to be a point guard if he's going to get his time with with this current roster. But he played three games. 22 points, 56% from the field, 65 from deep, um, four and a half boards. Uh, he was doing Dame range. I mean, he looks like he has incorporated that Dame sidestep into his his arsenal, pulling up for, from deep, catch and shoot, all in one motion. Uh, the game just comes easy to him. What I love most about him is he's still – pretty frail in terms of his build. I think there's room for him to add strength. I don't think he's ever going to be a bulky point guard like a Darren Williams, but he's a little wiry. He's almost like a Will Barton built, and I think he can still add a few more Mm -hmm. pounds, but he was able to finish through contact, and that is something that all of the great point guards are able to do. You look at Dame, you look at Kyrie, you look at Russ, you get into that land of the Giants, you better be able to finish because history shows they're going to really have to foul you for the refs to blow that whistle. And he's able to to finish with, with, with the best of them. And, and I think people who are maybe a little skeptical uh, of Simons running the, the backup point, I mean, that sooner or later, you got to take the training wheels off and see what you have. Yes, I know this is an important season, but – where else is was Portland going to find the potential production of Anthony Simons, either in free agency or via trade? It's not free agency because we had to sign our own. And trade, we had other holes to fill because Yusuf Nurkic is down. So Portland really was left with no other option. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that they believe in Anthony Simons. I do as well. But the bottom line is if you look at the way the offseason was laid out, the hand Portland was dealt – it has to be. That is the only natural fit is, okay, Penny, we had to let Seth Curry go. You, Adam Turner's gone. This is your show to run mm-hmm. in the back. I think that the, the the second Evan Turner got traded, Penny Penny's the backup point guard. That's on the depth chart. That's everything. I, I, I find it very uh, amusing that you said that he was a Will Barton type of guard since that, I, I've, I've, after, that, uh, after that Kings game, I said that. I'm, so I'm feeling pretty good that my wild guess is turning out to look kind of nice. Anyway, but yeah, Penny has a role. And it's kind of like last year was his redshirt year. Like he got to learn the game. He played a few games, but really he wasn't used much. Now he has a role. So this is kind of like his rookie year. Terry needs to give him that confidence that you can make mistakes. You're getting your 15 minutes. Just make your mistakes, learn from it, and help this team win. And you look at his running mate in the backcourt, Gary Trent Jr., going into a second year, second-round draft pick. I think we're actually going to see a little bit more in the regular season from Gary Trent than everyone is assuming. Now, I don't think he's going to be a a consistent rotation player, but I think a few games here and there, he's going to get his opportunity. 
Um, I don't think you need to play Kent Bazemore big minutes. We need to save him for the postseason. I think this is a year, if we can do it, to really maybe give Dame or CJ games off here or there. We we saw, we saw Dame almost break down in during that conference finals run. I mean, damn near he's playing with a dislocated shoulder towards the end of the Golden State series, and you could see his production start to tail off a bit in, in the Denver series just because of everything he had to, to shoulder. I would like to see the Blazers at least reduce his minutes a bit or fuck you're playing the Grizzlies. Dame, you're going to take the night off and we are going to win this time. There's no Mike Conley there Mm. to, to spoil any games. And (laughs) so I think Portland has to be smart with it. But as, as we Mm. saw against the Sacramento Kings in the regular season finale, when these young players are given an opportunity and a known role, they take it very serious and they play like it's their last. And if we look at, at what Gary Trent did he played in all five games, uh, almost 21 points, 41% from the field. Uh, what I really loved seeing is he had about six and a half boards, uh, steal and a half, and, and three assists. And in three games, he was he was absolutely lights out. Uh, against the Rockets, I believe he had 31 points and couldn't miss. Other games, he really had tunnel vision and, and started to force it. Why I think this is an important season for Gary Trent is he doesn't need to go to the G League. He already proved last year he was putting up 30, 40 points a night in the G League. That's going to do him no good. I would rather see him up with the main roster and get better in practice and get those spot minutes mm-hmm. in in games because if we look at Portland's last two second-round picks, Pat Connaughton and Jake Lehman, they both made their minor jump in their third year when they were breaking the rotation. And then they never really proved they were worthy of a second contract. So I think for Gary's sake, in order to not make that third year a make or break, I would like to see him get in that rotation for a couple of games, a handful of times where the opportunity presented itself because he is an NBA player and I value him, I think, more than most of the Blazer community. He's still super young and he does things almost like Rodney Hood that that other guards just don't do. He's got really good size, his ability to post up. I think he's a better defender than he gives than he gets credit for, and he's gonna work himself out of that tunnel vision. I think he's always gonna be a gunner, but he does look to pass when the opportunity presents itself. And obviously, he was mm. given the green light. He was the number one option this summer. That's not gonna be the case when he goes in and plays alongside Dame or Hassan. Or or whoever, but yeah, his his role was he got the green light because of the role. Gary's gonna be a guy that like let's say uh, Kent's bricking and he's not really contributing offensively. We'll throw Gary Trent in there and see what happens. He, I think he's a matchup guy. He's a break break glass in uh, in in case of shooting problems type of guy, and at least he'll have a role like. He'll be in the rotation sometimes, and that's good. It's all about uh, the that royal jelly. And if we give him a little bit more than he, he got last year, that's a good thing. And yes, he deserves to be in an NBA roster. Most good rotation players in the league aren't on that original roster. So he might blossom in another on another team. It's just right this second, there's a lot of shooting guards on this team. A lot of two, three swings. So, But... As long as he takes advantage of the opportunities that he's given, and I think there will be some that are given, 
it's going to be a good year. Yeah, for and them. I think Portland just needs to be cautious with Trent. Obviously, I don't think Layman's going to break out next year. Connison didn't in Milwaukee, but we gave up on Will Barton too soon. I was willing to move Will because he was given enough of an opportunity, but it was in hindsight, it, it was the wrong decision. He has flourished in, in Denver. And I think Trent's, if you're looking at talent, is closer to Will Barton than I think Jake Lehman or Pat, Pat Connaughton. And mm. again, if the opportunity presents itself, I think it would do Stotts a lot of good if if Trent is earning it in practice to reward him with, with minutes. Because again, it's 82 games, injuries happen. We need to keep our guys rested. The playoffs are the goal. Being at our peak mm. shape, mind, mental, whatever, come April. But to get through, you know, essentially the dog days of winter, we're going to need guys like Gary Trent, Scalabissier, Mario Hazonia. I mean, they're going to have to to play a role. I mean, we may get a, a Gary Trent game just like you got a Nick Stauskas game on the opening night against the Lakers. Absolutely. So, you know, this kid can play, and I know – it wasn't perfect. Sometimes it wasn't pretty. And he, he does have a chucker mentality, but again, that was his role for, for summer league and summer league is a lot different than, than the big show. And I went back and I also rewatched that Sacramento game uh, at the end of the regular season. And he was a very willing passer. I don't think he forced up as many shots as he gets um, basically dinged for. And if he can just become, it's it's interesting because he was known as a three point shooter at Duke, but I feel like he's almost better at, at the mid range in in the NBA. So if he can just become a better knockdown shooter, more consistent, because he's very streaky right now, um, he's going to have a role. I think he could be a really good, almost like a Kent Bazemore type. Play defense, hit your threes. He's going to learn a lot and hopefully contribute to the team. What do you think about Mario Hazonia's role this year? What do you think it is? He's a bit, he's a wild card in my opinion. He mentioned during his press conference that the coaches see him as the Evan Turner, the facilitator. If you look back at the last three games of his Knicks career, when he was put in that point forward role, he killed it 30 plus games or 30 plus points. Um, a lot of dimes, just a great playmaker. He's a player who in my limited exposure of, feels like he runs a lot on confidence and, and rhythm. So if you get him going, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. You, you get a player with talent and their confidence opens and, and, and widens, just like Rodney Hood, they're going to perform. I could see him in that role. I mean, he's not, he's not a shooter. That is one thing that he is not. So I don't anticipate him playing off ball a whole lot. I could see him getting out in the break and being a slasher and, and finishing, but to me, his skill set looks like he's he's a playmaker. So I think you can play him and Anthony alongside one another because Penny can switch between the one and the two uh, pretty yeah. uh, seamlessly. And if Azonia is is looking to playmake, uh, you know I really like that um, second unit second unit option right there. But he's he's one that I don't know if his minutes are going to be consistent. And I, I don't I think, think for so him either. though to. Um, not exceed expectations, but to be a rotation player, I think we're going to have to give him consistent minutes. I, I don't think he's a player you can yank in and out like an Anthony Tolliver and just expect him to basically be a pinch hitter and say, yeah, I'm going to go and perform. I think he needs to get consistent minutes, consistent, know his role, but unfortunately I don't see that just because we do have have Kent Bazemore. Yeah, we have, we have a lot of talented guys at that position, man. 
So there, I I have a feeling that he's gonna he's gonna get some minutes, but then he's gonna get I think he, the Nate uh, McMillan treatment where he plays ten games and then sits ten type of thing. All right, Sage, the moment I've been waiting for. I want to go down one through fifteen. Now these can change before we do our season preview, but so much has happened this summer that I want to look at the Western Conference, a state of the West, as of July 24th, 2019. Now, these rankings are where I envision the teams landing in the final standings, not necessarily an overall power rankings of of how well the team is, but given Portland Mm -hmm. has injuries, Golden State has injuries, uh, Paul George is going to be out for the first couple of weeks. To me, it made the most apples-to-apple sense to say, this team is going to finish here. doesn't necessarily mean they're better than the team below them, but regular season obviously determines the playoffs. So Sage, this was very difficult for me. I had tr- I had trouble yeah, it, even picking the fifteenth team. I mean, to be perfect, every spot I had trouble picking. Yeah, I, my shit's gonna be weird. Um, yeah, uh, who do you have finishing dead last in the Western Conference? Man, this is tough. I. I it was between the Grizzlies and the Kings for me. I uh, went, went Grizzlies oh, see, at 15. I'm a, I'm a lot higher on the Sacramento Kings than, than you are. Uh, I reluctantly picked Memphis. Um, I really liked what Jonas Valanciunas did for that roster down the stretch. I think he is a Yusuf Nurkic type of reclamation project where he's going to put up big numbers on that team. I really like, J- oh, yeah, I really like Jaron Jackson Jr. But any time that you or starting a rookie point guard, you're going to take your lumps, especially in the Western Mm. Conference. Um, I know they brought in Tyus Jones to be John Morant's backup, but there are just too many good teams in the Western Conference, and the Grizzlies really aren't trying to win. They're going to develop a lot of talent, and they have guys like Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala. I don't think they're really going to play meaningful minutes for the Grizzlies. They will find new homes for those guys, probably take on salary, and get draft picks in in exchange as well. And also, Josh Jackson as your starting wing, that's a recipe for being the, the worst, worst team scary. in the West. Who do you, so who do you have at 14? I have the Kings, because... Man, it's always a good bet to bet, bet on the Kings for bucking shit up. So I looked at their offseason, and I, I graded teams offseason... I gave the Kings a D. They didn't. They just gave their current players a lot of money, so I don't think they improved. The culture is awful in Sacramento, so I I said that that they would be the 14th team just because I liked Monty Williams and the Suns at 13. Okay, I mean that that's fair. I actually have the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, at 14. Uh, for me, that franchise clearly hit the reset button, dealing Paul George to the Clippers, dealing Russell Westbrook to the, the Houston Rockets. Um, as it stands, Chris Paul will will probably start the season. I don't think he ends the season in OKC. They'll probably find a home for Danilo Gallinari. It's, you have to believe they're going to find a new home for Steven Adams. Paying Steven Adams $24 million this year and next to be and be on to a be losing, losing team just team. doesn't make sense. Steven Adams is a luxury to have if you're winning. If you are rebuilding and you're trying to lose, paying him $24 million 
it is not the option. Uh, they gave away Jeremy Grant for a first round pick. They didn't add a, a single soul in, in free agency outside of Mike Muscala. Um, I, I, what do you, what do you give their off season though? It's, it's they an got assets because you don't, okay. anytime you're getting that many draft picks in the future, you just, you just don't know. It could turn out to be, you get the second pick in the draft in, in five or 10 years, or it could turn out those, those pick swaps are absolute mm. trash. And it also determines yeah. who are you picking. It's going to be one of those trades where you're probably going to want an ESPN 30 for 30 on, and we're not going to know the winner for yeah. a long time. Um, it's not a bad strategy. Um, they were never going to win with Paul George or Russell Westbrook. But at the end of the day, it is it is a gut punch, especially for the fans who all they have known is Russell Westbrook. I mean, that, that's going to be tough mm. because – he was their franchise. He was the, the lone ranger that, that stayed the, the heart and soul. soul. And now we're really going to see how loyal those fans are. They were essentially gifted the one of the best young cores of all time and have been consistent winners. Now they are not going to make the playoffs with, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot of future outside of Shea Gilders Alexander. So um, Billy Donovan to me is an atrocious head coach as well. So I, I think things are going to get very rocky for the OKC Thunder this year. Sage, who do you have at, at 13? So Suns. That is who I have as well. Hey, we we, we matched. Yeah. The only reason I don't have the Suns lower is Monty Williams. Yeah, Monty Monty's a good development guy. I think the players are going to respect Monty Williams' work ethic. And if you respect that, you're going to play really hard for him. There's going to be games where those guys bust their ass for Monty Williams. It's that level of respect is hard to find in a coach. I mean, like you remember when his wife died and the Pelicans and the, the thunder were broken up for Monty. That's the type of guy Monty is where you just care about this person. And the sons are going to care about Monty Williams and salute to him. I'm glad that he has another chance to coaching in this league. The Phoenix Suns on paper, not bad. Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Bridges, and Aiton. But for whatever reason, when a player dons a Phoenix jersey, it's almost like their their rating just drops like ten points. I don't know what it is. If it's there, they get overheated in the Valley of the Sun. It's Robert Sarver rubbing rubbing off on them. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the culture, culture just man. sucks the talent and life out of every player to play for that franchise. Um. I, I don't love their core. I don't love Booker and Aiton. Um, they made a terrible trade, uh, only acquiring Dario Saric to move down five spots. That They took Cam Johnson, who's 23 years old. Doesn't really fit the timeline of what they're looking for. They are not in win-now mode. Um, they spent $17 million for three years on, on Ricky Rubio. Um, they just... I Whatever they have, I, I don't like. Phoenix is a team that... I need to believe it. I need to see it before I believe it. Like, I just do not believe in the Phoenix Suns. I, I love Monty Williams, but I mean, I, I think they they are still so far away. And it, it's it's frustrating if you're a Phoenix fan, all of those high draft picks. And, and even DeAndre Ayton, I mean, he looked well, but he was getting benched for multiple games in the regular season. He doesn't play defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 
you know, basically stat padding at this point in his career. And yes, I know he's a second year guy, but when you're the number one pick and, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young, and Luka Doncic go immediately after you, man, you, you better elevate your game. So their season hinges not on Booker, on DeAndre Ayton, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pressure, man, that you're putting on a, you on, on a young guy. Pick? Dude, nobody took, nobody showed any love loss for Greg Oden when he was the number one pick. I mean, it was just the same thing with Zion, your boy. They are going to expect that dude to come in day one and, and produce. What Fair or not, those are the expectations that come with being a top pick, and especially that was a loaded draft. Absolutely. I think if he changes his attitude because he was very, I don't want to say gentle with players, but he should be way more physical out there. If he turns that physicality level up, he could be good. He has a lot of talent. I would rather have to turn someone down than have to charge them up. Oh, hey. I mean, we're we're talking a lot about coaching now. But uh, who you got? Twelve. Uh, let me see. I got him on my notes, so I messed some things up. So, twelve is the thunder for me. So we both agree they're a lottery team. that team's incomplete. They have assets, but we don't know how long Chris is going to play. And he's he's had injury problems for a long time, man. This 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 could be a rough season for OKC fans. At 12, I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. And to be honest, it was a team I wanted to drop down even further. Absolutely loathe this roster and how it has been constructed. Looking at it, it is a complete clusterfuck. You have Jeff Teague and Josh Okogie as your starting backcourt. Could arguably be the weakest starting backcourt in the entire league. Okogie sh- should be a nice rotation player to bring in off the bench. Uh, Teague, in today's NBA of point guard greatness, if he's your starting point guard, you're always going to be at... Looking for that yeah, You're always going to be at a disadvantage. Andrew Wiggins, I think it's perfectly clear he is never going to live up to the hype as the number one draft pick. Add on to the fact that Arguably a top five worst contract in the league. Um, I do like Robert Covington, but I think he's going to be a player. If the Timberwolves were smart, they would get future assets for him because he is a win now guy. And then Carl Anthony Towns. um, I love him as a player, but I don't think he is. He is essentially the new Anthony Davis and the Minnesota Timberwolves are the new New Orleans Pelicans. They're going to have Carl Anthony Towns and they're going to have a, a bunch of, of sunk costs and, Yes, he came out and said that he wants to stay in Minnesota, but if I had to put money on one of the next superstars to to look for a way out, it's Cat, in my opinion. I do like... Shit, man, I gotta look his name. Kent, uh, Bates Diaw is kind... I I think is better than Josh Okogie. Because, you know, I just look at stats, and Okogie's very uh, high variance. So... Bates Diaw was more consistent for me when I put him on Daily Fantasy, which is how I looked at the Minnesota Timberwolves last year. Um, but Cat, Cat's fantastic. Cat's very good. I actually have the Timberwolves. You have the Timberwolves spot, at, but, uh, no, you have the Thunder at 12. You have Thunder. Oh, shit. So, so you have the Timberwolves 11. at 11. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. So, yeah, um, Cat puts up great stats. I don't think they're going to win much. Uh, weak, weak backcourt. Wiggins is, and then I think Covington's yeah. gone. At eleven, who do you got? Oh, that was Minnesota. Excuse me. That, I have yeah, yeah. 
See, we're, we're both getting confused. It's, it's I have still your the beloved season. Pelicans at 11. Um, I don't love the fit with Favors and, and Williamson if that's what they're going to roll with as the starting fives or the starting front court. Uh, I just, if I was Alvin Gentry, I would give Zion as much space as possible to operate. Mm. Um, I, I, you know me, I, I love Drew Holiday. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the game, but I think there may be a bit of a backcourt logjam. I mean, you're looking at Drew, Lonzo, Josh Hart, and JJ Redick. All four of those players deserve minutes. Deserve, deserve minutes. starters minutes. And then you even got Alexander mm-hmm. Walker, who was one of the best players in summer league on, on the bench at a loaded position who each one more too. Each Don't one, forget each and one. Brandon and Matt at the three, who was play, basically in a contract year. I, I like Jackson. what the Pelicans did in the off season. I think I give them I an think A there's in more off moves season. they need to make. I would I would look to Absolutely. unload Ingram. I would look to unload one of those guards and really try to put players now around Zion that are going to make his life as easy Shoot. as possible. So I know a lot of a lot of pundits and fans were were really kind of jonesing to put the Pelicans in, in the playoffs right after that Anthony Davis trade. But, you know, just looking at the rosters and how everybody else shaped out, you know, I think New Orleans would probably be a, a, a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. The West is just so loaded that, I mean, I just couldn't find a spot for him. I don't, I, I, I have the Pelicans. But that's because you're playoffs, a Pelicans fan. But I see, yeah, but I absolutely see all of the points you've made and they're points that I've thought of in my head too. I mean, like, Who's gonna be the starting? Who's gonna be the starting small forward? JJ Redick or uh, Brandon Ingram? Would I mean one would make more sense for Zion? One would make more sense to see what Brandon Ingram's potential is. Um, no, nope. so we're at yeah. eleven or what? Are, Sam, I have Dallas Mavericks. there as well. Um, and this is all contingent on Kristaps Porzingis going back to unicorn form, basically two years ago. You know, they gave him a max deal after missing basically a season and a half. Um, I'm really only putting Dallas this high because of Luka Doncic and, and how incredible yeah, he was. I mean, he just looked like a man amongst boys, even as a rookie. I mean, he is going to be a force in this league for decades to come. Um, I, I really like the DeLon Wright acquisition. Um, sleeper mm-hmm. sleeper point guard. Um it is going to be interesting to see how the, they work alongside of Luka because Luka is a de facto point guard, in my opinion. Guard, and I would yep. probably slide Seth Curry into that starting role just to put as much shooting around Doncic as, as possible. But, yeah. um, you know, Kleber tests out really well on the defensive metrics. Uh, Dwight Powell is is pretty bouncy. Again, it's all going to come down to to Kristaps. I know how good Luka is, but if Kristaps is healthy – they could push for for the for the surprise eighth seed. Mm. Yeah, it, it. Yeah, I think it's all on those Euro guys to for Dallas's success. And shit, Luca looked fantastic. I don't I don't think there will be that sophomore wall for him. So it's all about developing that continuity and uh, with with uh, with Chris Stapps. So if if it works well, they could be that eighth seed. If it doesn't. They could be at the 10th seed. Who you have at nine? I have at nine. One second, my phone. I have the San Antonio Spurs at nine because the New Orleans Pelicans are in the playoffs. Oh, Lord. 
Okay. At eight. Okay, at eight. but at tell eight. me why New Orleans over San Antonio? Depth. Uh, the Pelicans have a lot of depth. Um, the Spurs, I think, are going to be on the same strategy as last year. If it's a close game, LaMarcus and DeRozan will play a lot of minutes. If it's a blowout at the very start, they're going to play. They're going to be benched. So I, I, I think it's about load management and to make sure those old guys play as much as possible. And if they get blown out a lot, I mean, it might behoove them to to think about not being in the playoffs. I don't know. It, it's tough, man. They're I just I all I think New Orleans has a better uh, team, but Pop Pop's a transcendent yeah, I mean, coach. You nailed it on the head. So before I go into my eighth eight team, which is San Antonio at nine, I actually have Sacramento, and I was going to put them a little lower, but then you know looking at the standings, you know they were pushing thirty nine. They had thirty nine wins last year. They were pushing for a playoff spot for for quite a long time, and. Who's the coach? Now? Yes, Luke Walton. And you know why? While I didn't love their offseason, maybe it was best they stayed simplistic and they kept their core together. Uh, this will be year three for De'Aaron Fox, and and I really think this team is going to benefit most from internal development. I think if Marvin Bagley is to make that jump, it, it is going to be this year. Buddy Hield is a bona fide twenty point per game scorer. Uh, I love Corey Joseph. Um, Trevor Reza as as veteran additions, um, Belinka uh, and Bogdanovich both can stroke it from outside, and you mm-hmm. know Harry Giles is also kind of a wild card and to see what what they have there. But this is a team that that wants to win, that has been on the cusp of making that that postseason for a couple of years now, and they've got a really great fan base, which will energize them at home. This is going to be a team you do not want to play in Sacramento. Young, get up and down the floor really, really feed off that crowd. Now they're going to drop a lot of road games because they're not as veteran savvy, but I love the potential of this team. Why I had them nine moving on to eight. I have the Spurs making it over um, not only the Kings Mavericks, but, but your Pelicans simply because again, if I'm talking about Phoenix, you know, I need to, to see it, to believe it. I'm talking about the Spurs in that that same light. They just make the playoffs year after year after year. It doesn't matter who you take away, who you put in. Greg Popovich is a machine. His system just spits out playoff contending teams. And they were one of the best teams in the entire NBA at home last year. Now, they were atrocious on the road. But a large chunk of being a playoff team is winning 30-plus at home, and, and they, they just know mm. how to do that, and they're going to get that. DeJounte Murray back. Patty Mills is a fantastic backup point. Uh, they're going to get Lonnie Walker, the fourth back as well. Uh, Derek White had one of the best playoffs for a first-year player last season as well. Uh, we know what DeMar and LaMarcus are. I mean, they're borderline all-stars, and let's not forget, they also figured out a way to get Damari Carroll, so he's going to be another Spurs guy who's going to be a 3 and D. Now, make no mistakes about it. I don't love this roster. I just like the experience and the coaching staff enough to fend off the young guns, the Pelicans, the, yep, for another the Mavericks, year. the Kings for just one more year. So I think this is probably San Antonio's last year. It wouldn't surprise me if something went wrong and they're having to to tweak at the, the trade deadline. But considering their health is where it's at, um, I think they find a way to, to sneak into that eighth seed at seven. Who do you have, Sage? So 
normally I put the Warriors at number one every year, and uh, I totally forgot them because I'm no, you know, he, number one every time. So I was at 14. I was like, who the hell did I miss? Oh shit, Golden State. Um, fuck it, put them seventh. I mean that that's I actually have the Warriors at, at seven as well, and a lot of it is contingent on on Clay Thompson. He's obviously going to miss the bulk of of the season next year. Uh, you cut off half of the Splash Brothers. That is going to to really put even more of a, a stress and a burden on Steph Curry's load. And I don't remember where I heard it, but basically what was said is the Warriors had made the finals five straight years. And I think it was maybe on the Woj pod. And Steve Kerr was basically like, we just need a year off, like mentally. Like they are so gassed. Knowing you lost Iguodala, DeMarcus Cousins, Jordan Bell, Clay Thompson's out for a while, Sean Livingston, Quinn Cook, Kevin Durant. I mean, so much of the heart and soul and nucleus of that franchise. And then you're going to move to another arena you clearly know you're not going to win the championship this year. I think if they're honest with themselves, I, I don't think they have championship aspirations. They may say that, but I don't think they truly believe it like some of the other teams. I think mentally it's going to get the most of them. Yes, adding D'Angelo Russell helps, but their depth in the backcourt is, is non-existent. I mean, Jordan Those Poole, two, a right? rookie, Alec Burks is a two. They really don't have a backup point guard. Um they brought in Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Uh, Draymond's game has been declining a bit for, for some some time now. Um, they're going to win games because they got Steph and, and Dre will will them too. And I do think Steve Kerr is a good coach. But in this Western Conference, it's crazy to say they're the seventh seed. Now, you're not going to want to play them come playoff time with a healthy Clay Thompson. Make no mistake about that. But – I'd be very surprised if they made a, a deep run. And so I think they're going to probably look to retool um, next year. I think, I think they're really going to probably get gassed this year a bit, and they're really going to need that, that mental break. Mm. Do you think that the Steph Curry uh, D'Lo backcourt will work? Cause both of them need the ball in their hands. I know Steph works really well off ball, but their usage rates are like, Russell Westbrook and James so Harden. Defensively, basically. no. I think it might be one of the worst defensive backcourts in in the league, starting wise at least, because at, with Clay Thompson, you're able to hide Steph a bit. Clay can go out and guard. Clay is a yep. a, a first team all defensive type uh, of wing, and neither D'Angelo nor Steph is going to make it to the All Star game riding on on their defense. And yeah, totally. Also, let's not mistake that they lost. Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala, other wing defenders who would guard other primary backcourt scorers. Is Alfonso McKinney their starting, starting three, three? as of today? And that's going to put a lot yeah. of pressure on Steph and D'Angelo to, to defend. And really what I think the Warriors have is what they didn't want. They have Steph and Monte, Monte Ellis 2.0. That's exactly yeah. what there's going to be nights where they're both clicking and they're hot. And there's going to be nights where they're going to just go in tunnel vision and teams are going to collapse and swarm and, and just suffocate that ball at the top of the key. And it's just not going to move. So I don't think it is going to work. But those two are going to put up stats, I think. And if you have a yearly basketball 
league. I think that having one of those two is going to be a really nice shooting point guard type of guy for your Who yearly Who you got team. at six? I have at hey, six the Utah Sam, did Jazz. did you copy off my paper? No, 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 no. Uh, what did you like about their offseason? Oh, I think that getting uh, Bogdanovich is good. I think them having a lot more people that can score the ball is a good move for them because last year it was Donovan Mitchell and a little bit of Joe Ingles. Now they have Conley, uh, Bojan, Luke. I mean, they got, they got more scores and then the more space for Rudy Gobert to do his thing offensively. I think there's going to be more pressure on him defensively because Joe Ingles isn't the defender that Derek favor favors is even. So it's a, Offensively, it's better. I think defensively, it'll be a yeah, little worse. I, I completely agree. I love the addition of Conley. I think they overpaid for Bogdanovich, but you're in Salt Lake City. That's kind of what you, that's what you have to do. But I, I think people are getting a little bit too overwhelmed and you know maybe over over um, expecting what Utah is is capable of delivering. Let's not forget, Mike Conley has never made an all-star team. Yes, he's a very good point guard, but he's still 32 years old. A lot of miles on those wheels. Donovan Mitchell also plays with the ball in his hands a lot. And it wasn't particularly pretty in in the postseason against the Houston Rockets. Now, when Utah made their move up the standings, he was playing point guard and he was doing extremely well. But in that postseason, he had one of the worst postseasons of you know, anyone in, in the league. Um, he was just putting up chucker type stats where you're like, you might want to look at passing the ball. And then you talk about Ingles and Bogdanovich as your wings. Yes, they can shoot, but defensively they are not Jay Crowder. They are not Derek favors. And as much as I appreciate Rudy Gobert's defense, he was completely taken out of, of that Houston series. So he does have the ability to be, to be removed so I do like their starting five. It's their bench, which gives me a lot of pause. Ed Davis, great addition. But again, they have no po- they have no low post scoring, and they have no playmakers at that center position to pass the ball. At least when Portland had Mason Plumley, he was able to get the ball in the middle of the floor and make decisions. Um, Emmanuel Moutier is their third guard. I mean, that they have no oh, other guards. Royce O'Neal is their backup small forward. He's average. He's fine. He deserves to be there. I would, I, I would not want Royce O'Neal in the rotation for my Trailblazers. I will leave that at that. I love what the Jazz did. And any other year, they're probably getting home court advantage. The rest of the teams are just a notch better. Yep. Who do you have at five? I have the Trailblazers at five. Okay, cool. That's what and I have as well. I would say that when we did our podcast earlier in the offseason, you know, I was a Portland is definitely – a lot of trades. Yeah, they were definitely made. a top four team, but the, I think the Lakers got better with their additions after Anthony Davis. Um, the Rockets brought in Russell Westbrook, which is a regular season move to advance them past Portland. And honestly, if we had a healthy use of Nurkic and we were able to still retain Rodney and then whatever we could get for, you know, Myers and Maurice Harkless, I would put Portland one or two in the West. But Yusuf Nurkic isn't healthy. Injuries you happen. don't know when yeah. he's going to come back. And there's there still are a lot of unknowns for the Blazers. We don't know how Anthony is going to react to getting 20-plus minutes a night. We don't know how Zach's going to react as the starting power forward on an 82-game basis. 
And, you know, we just don't know what Hassan Whiteside we're going to get. We can project and predict, and I think all good things will come, but not having Nurkic for the majority of the season will inevitably cost Portland home court advantage. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This the, the, There is a reason why I am not willing to throw this season away if we don't get home court advantage or if we lose in the first round. If you're playing against the Lakers or the Rockets in the first round, you go to seven. I mean, that's just the breaks of the game. I mean, that's just, there's only four teams that can advance. And you look at how stacked the West is. To me, this year is house money. If Portland does what they did last year, incredible. If they don't, okay, let's let's we, we'll match some cap space next year. Nurk will be healthy. We got Damon CJ still in their primes. Still got Rodney and Zach. Shit. But yes, I agree totally with what Dustin Lakers just said. to talk about. Yeah. So redo Lakers talk. Uh, so we. Who do you have it for? Uh, stupid Lakers. I know. I, it, uh, it it pained me to put the Lakers above the Trailblazers as well. But the reason is LeBron and Anthony Davis. The reason I don't have them higher, again, LeBron and Anthony Davis. They are going to get their nicks, their cuts. They're going to get banged up, and there's going to be a lot of load management with those two. But what their management finally did that they didn't do last year, they added shooting. Troy Daniels, Danny Green, Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, and they also have Kyle Kuzma returning as well. Uh, let's not forget, they also added DeMarcus Cousins, who is going to be playing for a contract, and I think he's going to give them pretty good minutes. There's just a lot of versatility to like with this roster, especially with LeBron being the facilitator, and I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for defenses because he's a big boy. He's a big boy, and he really is the closest thing to Magic Johnson since since Magic Johnson. He's really going to get his opportunity, opportunity to be that player in, in Staples this year. I mean, the Lakers are like, the NBA 2K team, my team cheese, where you put a small forward that can pass the ball in at your point guard. So that, that they're on some 2K shit. My question is, and we didn't just uh, talk about this before I forgot to hit record. Anthony Davis had problems with Boogie Cousins because of people thinking that it was Boogie's team. How do you think he's going to handle having Boogie again? If like, let's say Boogie plays well. Is he going to be cool with having Boogie be a very good center again and Anthony's playing a similar position? I I wonder what the Lakers are going to do as far as like who's the alpha who's 1, 2 and 3 on that uh, you know, whose team it is type well, of thing. I think you already saw LeBron kind of address that earlier in the offseason when he tried to gift him the number 23. Obviously Nike put a halt to that because too many of those jerseys were produced, so that gesture has to be put on hold for at least another season, but you can kind of see LeBron already extending that olive leaf, trying to make Anthony feel welcome, but also up on that same perch um, echelon with him as well. So it's really going to follow on LeBron, how he's going to treat Anthony and kind of get in his head and say, Hey, Hey, big dog. You know, I need you just as much as you need me. We need everyone on this team. Like ego's got to go aside, but it all boils down to winning. But if they do struggle, I think you can start to see a lot of problems in Los Angeles, especially in in that media market where they are going to be under the most massive of microscopes, especially when you're sharing an arena with a team that could be even better than you. Mm -hmm. And Anthony was sheltered in New Orleans. People don't know about Anthony Davis Sr. getting kicked out of games. Anthony Davis Sr. can't do that shit in, in Los Angeles. 
New Orleans hit a lot of negative stuff about Anthony Davis and his family. That shit's going to be popping. That shit's going to be worse than LeVar Ball next year. Trust me. Like, he, Anthony wanted this big market. Now it's time for him to get affected by this big market that he wanted so much. Who do you have at three? Houston. I have the Clippers. Oh, shit. So I have Houston at three. I do not, by any stretch of the imagination, believe they are the third best team in the Western Conference, but they are one of the best regular season teams in the NBA. James Harden is a fantastic regular season player. There may not be a better regular season player than Russell Westbrook, who gets triple doubles on a nightly basis. They also are a pretty damn good team. I mean, let's let's not sleep on them. They pushed Golden State to, to six games. They absolutely dismantled the Utah Jazz. Uh, two years ago, they were basically a Chris Paul hamstring away from dethroning that super team that the Warriors had before they missed 27 straight threes. It'll all depend on a couple of things for Houston. One, how are the role players going to feel knowing that Daryl Morey tried to trade them and their entire families? I mean, you've got Capella, Tucker, and Gordon, who are seemingly in every rumor. Um, and then how is Russell Westbrook going to adjust to James Harden? Because it is James Harden's team. It didn't seem like Chris Paul and James Harden meshed. And guess who got shipped out? It was Chris Paul. James Harden's still there. This is his franchise. Russell's now going to have to take his alpha personality. He's going to have to turn it down a couple notches because this is James Harden's show. And why I can see it not working is if you are trusting your backcourt running mate to take the game-winning shot and they don't do it and you lose the game, how are you going to react? Portland has that culture and continuity where we trust one another. And if you make it, I believe that you're going to make it. If you miss it, let's, let's run it back again. We'll do it. But you look at the, even the Warriors last year when Draymond against the Clippers tried to take that game winning shot. It didn't go in. Kevin Durant lost his shit. And that was essentially one of the first kind of uncoverings and undoings of, of the Kevin Durant era in, in Golden State. I could see a lot of that has, there's a, a volatile, the chance of volatile, ugh, there is a lot of shit that could go down and it could get very ugly. But I also think it could work if both Russ and Jake play nice and say, I need you and you need me. What I love about playing this team in the playoffs is you are begging Russ to shoot from the outside and you love it when he tries to take over. The OKC Thunder against the Blazers last year in the playoffs, Portland made their runs and their pushes when Russ tried to do it all rather than riding Paul George. So I have the Clippers because I think the Rockets will play nice and they care about regular season way more than the Clippers will. I mean, like, Paul George is going to be... He won't be there at the start of the season. Kawhi's going to be on that load management. Clippers are a smart organization, man. They have a lot of smart people. They know that the regular season isn't the end-all, be-all. They'll they'll be fine with the third seed. They'll rest Kawhi. They'll rest Paul George. And they'll probably win some of those games that they rest. They don't care about that second seed or the first seed as much as Houston and Denver. I have the Rockets. I think that Denver really wants the first seed. And they kept their team together. They have the most continuity. So I think they're going to start out with a big advantage. Their home court is fucking dominant because of the altitude. A lot of people made big, splashy moves. They just signed their guys. They have a, They had a very good team to start. 
they're gonna want that first seed the most and i think they'll get it yeah i have Den- i have denver as two and i think a lot of people are sleeping on denver again i, not, I don't necessarily believe they're the second best team in the western conference they can be beaten especially at home as portland uh proved last year in the conference semifinals but if we're talking regular season there's probably not a better home court than than denver mm-hmm. and if we're talking about sleeper mvp candidates Nikola Jokic has to be in, in your top three. Uh, simply astonishing and prove me wrong. I didn't think he could be a, an alpha, but he was putting on a show, a clinic. Um, he's unselfish. He can hit the three. He can can pass the ball better than any big man in today's NBA. Uh, the only thing you want more out of him is to be a defender. Um, they, they do have great culture. They do have a great continuity. Great coach. What I worry about with Denver, who is that number two? You're paying Jamal Murray like he's a number one, but he needs to become consistent. Jamal Murray needs to become an all-star for Denver to really be a championship contender. And I think if I was the Denver general manager, I like getting Jeremy Grant for that first round pick. That first round pick is going to be in the high 20s. He is going to solidify your rotation and allow you to do play matchups better than you would whether you just have Paul Millsap. If I'm Denver, I would I think they should make a con, uh, consolidation trade. Like if there's a way for them to go after a guy like Bradley Beal, you do that. You you keep Murray and Jokic off the table, but everything else you should go all in because they've got, I mean they've got Malik Beasley, they got Will Barton, they've got Gary Harris, uh, they've got Michael Porter Jr. who hasn't even played, Torrey Craig. I mean they have a lot of pretty damn good players. I think they just need an extra really fucking good player to carry them in the playoffs because clearly it was Jokic and, and Murray on a couple of the nights, but nobody really else made a, made a push. I do think they are going to be the two seed at, at one. I have the Clippers, and I, I agree with your points that I could see them uh, as the three seed. You're right. Paul George is coming off shoulder surgery, probably will miss a couple weeks of the regular season. Kawhi is never going to be an MVP candidate because of how few games he plays in that regular season. But this team has dogs. I mean, they got Montrez Harrell, Patrick Beverly. I mean, they are waiting for this moment. And I know it's crazy to say they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, but they are playing in Laker country. Los Angeles is a Laker city of all sports. The Lakers rule the fan base and the front pages. And they have to share an arena with those dudes. You don't think they want to show them up? They are gonna want to play the best basketball. They, I think they, they're they're looking for that. This is their opportunity. And as much as Doc Rivers is gonna want to play at Coy, they only have Kawhi and Paul George under contract for two seasons. So yes, you need to monitor their minutes, but winning cures all. And I, I truly believe that they are they're they're the best team on, on paper. I mean, they have everything that that you want out of a roster. I, I mean, yo, they're, they're a super, super good team. I just don't think they, they have that hunger and the, the, the reason to prove that, that what the, the chances that the other teams made are worth it. And then Denver, you know, they want that respect. So I, I definitely could see a world where the Clippers are number one, but I just think if this was a simulation, I think Denver will be the number one seed more just because they, they, they also have that chip on their shoulder. 
Sage, it's been a long one. We've covered a lot of ground. Summer League, Palgasol, State of the Western Conference. Let our listeners know where they can find us. So we are on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, all the feeder apps, Himalaya Podcasts. We're on nothing but net radio. But we have made a partnership with Blazers Uprising on YouTube. So we are recording our podcast so you can see our pretty faces. You can see how much I twitch my eyebrows when I talk. And if you want to check out the full episode of the Holy Backboard, it will be on Blazers Uprising during the NBA season. And uh, we are going to create a Holy Backboard YouTube ourselves and do some clips of it to drive extra traffic. So, yeah, you can check us out on all of these applications and more. We're taking this shit super serious next year. Uh, You'll get a lot of the Holy Backboard throughout the summer and every week for the regular season. For me, I'm going to be streaming on Thursday for some NBA 2K and then Friday some NBA 2K 8 to about 11 on Mixer.com slash Dasage, D-A-S-A-G-E. Bonus cut. Myself, I dropped the ball. We had a fan question from our guy, Peter. Oh, shit. Citizen. We covered it a little bit already. But he says, hey, guys, hope you're wonder- hope you're enjoying your summer thus far. Wondering if there's any update on Gasol's foot injury from last season. And also, realistically, what kind of numbers do you think he can do? Haven't heard an update on his foot, but I haven't heard that it's going to keep him out. I-, I believe he will be a full go for the season. In terms of numbers, I hope he can get 60 games played. Hope he can hit a couple threes. Four, seven points few boards, but most importantly, mental. Hope he can share his knowledge with with Zach Collins. I don't think he is going to be a player where you look at the box score and you can measure his impact. If Paul Gasol is playing major minutes for this team, we are in serious trouble at power forward, bro. So let's hope he doesn't play that much because Zach Collins is bodying shit super duper hard. That's all, folks. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go. Come on, everybody, and let's.